Hi, thanks for joining us for Podcast Nonsense. I'm your host, Patrick Krebs, and this is episode number seven. I've got with me Brian Danley. Brian was a director on Weeds, United States of Terra, um, Pushing Daisies. He wrote and directed the movie Saved with uh, Mandy Moore and Macaulay Culkin. How you doing, Brian? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So what are you working on now? Um, what am I working on now? Um, Girlfriend's got to divorce. Well, I just finished that up, and then we're coming going into season two. So I, I, I think I'll be back for that season. And then um, my writing partner and I just finished a pilot that we just sent to our agents, which we're excited about. And uh, then I did, uh, I did uh, an episode of Awkward and Faking It. Uh, so, yeah. What's Awkward and Faking It? Uh, they're two MTV shows. Okay. Um, both awesome, faking it. Um, uh, did I just ruin it? No, no. This is just <laughs> what it is. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, they're both two MTV shows that um, I've always wanted to work with MTV. I don't know why. I think it's probably because I came of age when MTV came around, so I was excited to do both of them. Yeah, MTV was super dope. Yeah. It was just, it came up right before... I was old enough to get into it, right? But I was in private school in New York, and it Show was off. like it was like a, it was like a K through twelve private deal. In New York. Uh-huh. Well, so like we had, you know, there were probably I think like four hundred kids in the entire school, uh-huh. and so in the hallways, I would cross paths with people that were like in tenth grade and eleventh grade all the time, and they would, you know, it was like the eighties punk phase in Manhattan, you know, so people would they have like the pleated skirts, like the Catholic right, right. pleated skirts and stuff, right. but then they'd have like the dyed green, like mohawk hair, right? you know? And um, th- that to me is, is MTV when it was coming to age in the 80s. Yeah, and I think they're doing really interesting things. I, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about what they're, what they're doing now. What are they working on now? Well, they're doing this uh, Scream, uh, they're doing a series of Scream, which is so good. I just oh, that's saw the cool. pilot. It's, it's it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited by it. That just like episodic? Yeah. yeah. Like seasonal kind of? Yeah. Yeah? Um, it looks beautiful. It's cinematic. It's it's amazing. Cool. Cool. That's I know they've really been over at Nickelodeon, which is the same company, Viacom. They've been trying to restructure and reinvent right. what it means to be Nickelodeon. I and think I you think, have to now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that... Um, I think MTV is probably going through the same thing because it's the same, you know, leadership. Yeah. So it makes sense that they, I mean, they need to hone back in on that, like, tar- target demographic. Right. I mean, you know, you know I shouldn't probably speak for MTV because I don't know them that well. But mm-hmm. just, you know, sort of my observations from as an outsider, it looks like they're they're doing really interesting things. Yeah. I know they're doing really well at Nickelodeon, uh, what the new scheduling and the new shows that they're putting on and stuff. And the development, they're doing a lot of development. So that's really like... Does it seem to you like it's becoming more sophisticated? Um, in terms of what? Just sort of taking the audience, giving the audience, even young audiences, more credit. You know, like there's... Interesting, I think, yeah. I think, there's, I think there's more of a sophistication just because of all the social media and people's access to, you know, a variety of shows. You know, the expectations, I think, are higher for, for all, all TV. That's a, that's really interesting. I haven't I haven't heard that talked about, but that's a really good point yeah. that should be talked about because we're I mean we're mostly targeting you know between like three and eight I think and like five and thirteen right so I think you do have to give the kids more credit. People are learning kids are learning faster they're learning more um, and everything's out there so yeah but that's not something that I've heard kicked around but that's something that should get brought up for sure yeah. So. For sure. Um, so how did you get into directing? I'm always fascinated by directors because it's like everybody kind of wants to be a director. Nobody yeah. really is. I always think, uh, first of all, it's so hard being a director. It, directing itself isn't hard. It's all the other shit that, that's around it. But um, I guess the way it got into it, it was, I tried to. I was, it took a while to put the pieces together. When I was a little kid, I did puppet shows with my grandmother would make puppets, and I would mm-hmm. do puppet shows. And then I would do, uh, I would do like the school plays. I would rewrite them. I would put music in them. And then I, 
you know, I, I, being a director was never, you know, it was never in my vocabulary. I, I didn't even know what that was. And then, uh, you know, I went to college and I was doing international studies. And um, where, I, where was that? Uh, at the time, I was at Morgan University, Morgan State University, and uh, but in in Maryland, I've gone to um, um, University of Maryland, uh, Maryland Institute of Art, Hopkins University, American University, and is that it? Yeah, I went through this like crazy like every school in Maryland. That's it. And Towson. Towson is where I made the first <laughs> film. I I took this class that. Um, uh, it was like an intro to film class, and I, f- I went from being vice president of my class to failing out of school. I was totally consumed by making film, and uh, yeah. And then I, I think I, I think I was out of college for probably two years or so. I don't really remember. Um, and I, uh, I decided that um, I was going to go back to school and I was going to be a filmmaker, um, and. Uh, I, I, I've the reasoning at the time was um, I didn't want to be 80 years old saying I wish I would have. I wanted to be 80 years old saying I tried. Interesting. Um, so I, um, yeah, I started making films there uh, at University of Maryland, and I had great teachers, and um, I loved every part of the process. Like I was, I was, obs- I read every single book about filmmaking. I mean, I was so obsessed with it that I even did things like I would do the craft service table. I would have everything on tablecloth, different heights with names of the food that I cooked the night before. Like I wanted it to be as professional as possible. Like this is the like this is what this world would look like. To right, me. right. And then um, I did a, a film called Big Busted Gals, which um, won the Pink Flamingo Award at Hopkins for. Um, it was literally. It was. Uh, I think it was twenty years ago last year that I won that. That was that set me off. I was like, "Oh shit, this is awesome." That's awesome. Um, and then uh, I did a film called "Run to Your Keanu" about a girl in love with Keanu Reeves, and that was <laughs> a film I submitted to AFI. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I had these profess. I, I was really, you know, it's such a weird world. Like, who knows what? I, you know, who knows if you're talented or. It's really hard to gauge, um, but um, I remember when I when it came time to applying to grad schools, I went for all the easy ones, and I had a professor, Holly Levenstein, thank God, who said, you know, Brian, you apply to the best schools, and uh, and so I did, just never thinking in a million years that I would get into any of them, and then I got into AFI, and it was like, oh my God. Like so crazy. for people that don't know what AFI is, for people that are, you know, in different countries or in uh, different parts of the planets. Plan- yeah, different planets, planet Xenu. Um, AFI is the American Film Institute. Yeah. And it's here in Hollywood. Yeah. And um, what sets AFI apart from the other schools? Look, I think it's, to me, it's the best film to go to for being a director because when you're at AFI, you focus on directing mm-hmm. for two years. You You don't, you don't, you, you work on other people's crew, but I think you're limited to like three or four uh, a year. And but you really focus on directing every aspect of directing, and you do it for two years. And it's they have amazing teachers. Mm-hmm. It's um, sometimes it's the number one film school in the world. Sometimes it's the number two film school in the world. Sometimes it's the number three film school in the world. But mm-hmm. it's always like top three. It seems to me like it's very workshop based instead of like you know it's not classroom academic is it it's it's not so academic although there are academic elements to it it's um but it is really interacting with people who who are directors and composers and editors and production designers and wardrobe um designers and uh you know really developing a vocabulary for telling a story using all every tool that you have as a director it's not just working with actors you Mm -hmm. know it's like what what how does the production design help tell the story? How does the wardrobe help tell the story? How does hair and makeup help tell the story? Where's the camera's place? How does that everything, every tool you have to tell tell a story, you you get to explore. And you're just in it making making yeah. You make three with... films the first year. Um, uh, you make them in. I think you make the first ones four. Second second two are three days, um, and then you have a thesis film. <sighs> yeah, it's a lot of filmmaking. It's in a, a year. lot of filmmaking. A lot of films. Um, 
but it's it's an incredible experience. You feel like when you get out of AFI, you're prepared for this, or I I do. I felt like AFI was like the perfect microcosm for the industry because you're dealing with all the same all the same issues that you would deal with um, working for a studio or network, but you're dealing with them in sort of this microcosm. Um, you know, the same politics, the same trying to get the the right DP, the right production designer, working with the right producer. Um, you have a lot, I think more things are apt to go wrong when you're at AFI, mm-hmm. um, just because you're new, everyone else who's working on the, on the project usually new. So, but when you get out there, it makes it so much easier. Like there, there has never been a problem on set that I hadn't dealt with when I was at AFI. Mm-hmm. And how about the transition from AFI into the real world? Yeah, it was, for me, it was pretty easy. Um, because um, of the networking? Or? No, not at all. I mean, my writing partner I had written Saved at AFI. Um, AFI puts out this um, book that they send to all the agents and producers about with a, a snippet of what your, your, your script is about, and that's how we got our agent. Mm. Um, and then from there, the agent, uh, Joel Milner, he sent it to um, um, you know various producers. We... we we got involved with Single Cell, which at the time had just done Being John Malkovich, um, Sandy Stern, and Michael Stipe. And uh, we we set out about the journey of making the first fe- feature. That's really cool. How long did it take you to make Saved? Well, it, we shot it in 20... I think we shot it in like 23 days. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Where'd you shoot it? We shot it in uh, Vancouver. Why'd you pick Vancouver? Well, originally we had gone to shoot it in Florida, um, and the people that we, the financiers we were working with ended up not having any money. So the show closed down and we went to, uh, and then we, we, we had to find another financier and we found, a um, I think United Artists came on board and, um, Bill Vincent, Michael Ohoven came on board to finance on the Vancouver side. What is, explain that, like what goes through your mind when financing falls through Nothing, or honestly. what, what is financing and like, I was so naive at the time. I just was convinced that that was part of the process. It never occurred to me that the film would never be made. I mm-hmm. just thought, Oh, this is the part where things fall apart. And then you keep going. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is the part where things I, fall apart. I had no, like, I don't remember having any judgment around it. Just like, okay, that happened. What yeah. do we do now? And then yeah. fix it, it. It never occurred to me that the film would never get made, which is weird because I look back now and it's, you know, it's a, a, a teen comedy that takes place in a Christian high school at a time when George Bush was getting elected. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how the film got made at all. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed pretty like uh, poignant for the times. You know, it seemed like it was on the cusp of what, what was happening, you know? I mean, there was a lot of polarization. But those films don't usually get made. <laughs> you know, people are looking That's for true, something yeah. safe that um, that they can wrap their heads around. And uh, we basically, I think, at the time, everybody said no. They said no because it was they, they didn't get the, the subject. They said no because I was a first-time director. It was just like lots of no's. No, 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 no. And so why why the yes? when I think the yes came as an accident. Um, we were in Florida. Um they were, we were in this production office and they were taking out like the fax machine and the printers and people were just like, it was getting cleared out. And, um, United Artists called a guy named Danny Rosette was, um, the guy who, who was with our film and, uh, and my producer just literally begged him, please make this film. And he said, yes. And that was it. Wow. Yes, I'll do it. That's great. It was, I think it was totally an accident. That's great. (laughs) Um, so Differences between TV and making a film. Yeah, how do you I, find I working on TV? A lot. I love I love both. Like I love film because there's a beginning, middle, and end. There's you know you're you're developing the characters and the the look of the film and the the style of the film from beginning to end. It's like summer camp. You know you're 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 tucked away somewhere making this film. There's uh, the process of sending it out to, you know, um, film festivals. And so that's a great experience. Um, and then, but with TV, you, you I have to sneeze so bad. Do it. Excuse me. Bless you. Um, with TV, you, you get to tap into another side of the process of directing where you're, 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 you're trying to understand what the, the writers are trying to say, what the producers are trying to say. 
um, was doing a pilot, like when I did the pilot for Weed, so I worked with Genji and kind of like uh, talking about the look of the film and, and the, 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 the style of acting and uh, look of the TV show. Um, and then, uh, so you're, you're, it's, it might be more collaborative. I think it's probably more collaborative by nature. And I guess when I say collaborative, I mean like with film, if it's your film that you've written, a lot of people are collaborating with you and helping you sort of, um, you know, have the best sort of vision for the, for the project based on, you know, your ideas of what the film should be and what the, what the cameraman brings to the table all departments really and then with TV it's like you're really trying to understand what they're trying to say um, you know uh, you have to understand the, 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 the actors the characters that they've created um, the look of the show what you can bring to it that may may not be on the table sort of it's a little bit of a reverse like you know a, a DP will come to me and say for a movie this is what I was thinking to help tell your story. And then I think on the TV show, as a director, you're like, this, this is a moment I think that helps tell your story. So it's a little bit of a reverse. Um, but I like the fast pace of it. I like how, I feel like I've been doing it for so long now that I have, um, I feel like I'm seasoned finally. Mm. You know, I think mm. when I first started, I was, you're not, you don't, I don't know if I realized how, collaborative it is the process is because you're so wrapped in your yourself the way you want to tell the story how are you look, looking what's your future look like and then as you as I've gone through this for a while um, it becomes more about uh, you know it's not just the ability to direct or talk to actors or to talk to your cameraman it's a your ability to talk to the producers on set and the writers mm -hmm. and the, the the production designers and people who've been either on the show for years or this is their first season or this is the, the pilot, you um you just learn like that it's directing isn't just about one thing. I think you you have to be so you have to be you have to tap into your creative creativity so much faster and you have to be able to communicate with the actors so much faster. Like you're there's there's not a lot of time to second guess. Um, so do you think that's uh, like that refines the skill set? Absolutely. You, yeah. You don't. Absolutely. Does the quality wane because of that? I always think it gets better. You think he's. I mean, you know, if you had more time, you could maybe um, um, sort of refine the nuances of the maybe business or the, 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 the continuity, like those things may suffer, I think. Um, but I always get the sense that if you, the most important thing is the actor, what they're conveying to, to the audience. And if people are paying attention to the fact that the cups in it filled differently than you failed already. So I think maybe that would be an area where, you lose sometimes. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, continuity is a big is a big deal breaker for me. <laughs> there are people who are obsessed <laughs> with it. I mean, look, I, I, I you're take right. it seriously. I mean, like, and it's, you, you it's not like, wait, if I'm watching Schindler's List, right. I'm not looking for continuity. But if you're watching, if, but if you're making Schindler's List, that continuity is going to be perfect. You're right, going to have right. the time to make yeah. sure that stuff doesn't happen. Um, yeah. With TV, it's almost impossible. Well, you know, I don't know. Some actors are incredibly good at it. Allison Janney is so good at continuity. It's effortless. Uh, Chris Colfer is really good at continuity. Like, they they have a, just a, an extra skill set where, you know, sometimes it's... It's always the performance and the, the authenticity of the performance coming from the actor. But when they bring it to that next level where... They pick up the glass at the same time every time. Oh, that's right. That's or they eat the crazy. piece of food at the same time. It, it, it's probably a simple process, but it still amazes me that in in addition to being in the moment, there is this other craft going on that is unnoticeable almost. Mm -hmm. Really, you just when you're in the editing room, you're like, oh my god, this person is amazing. They're just <laughs> like tracking they, everything. Yeah, everything. They're tracking for Allison. Allison Janney, I think that would be. Um, kind of second nature from just 
having such a large body of work. I think so too, but also but um, if Chris does that too, then Chris that's does like it. Chris is like Chris is. I think it's just born into him. Lisa Edelstein is another one who who just is. You know, it's so interesting because she's she's a lead of um, Girlfriend's Guide, but she's like the the ringleader. She sets the tone for the show. She she knows. She knows everything about the world and is able to convey it and um, and have continuity. And, um, I mean, it's amazing. Like, you know, she'll she'll catch you in a moment. She'll be like, oh, I took my glasses off here. Can we go back? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she does a thing. Uh, she's really amazing. Like, uh, on House, you know, there would be uh, Hugh Laurie for, like, 30 minutes on screen. And he would meet with her in a scene, and she would, like, steal it. You know, and you'd remember her and you wouldn't remember him. And she's like, there's certain actors that just have the gift. mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, it's amazing to watch. It's, it's, it's the turn of phrase. It's the, it's, it's individualizing each moment in a way that, um, you know, I I always think it's a gift, you Mm -hmm. know, like you can, you can be a decent actor, but to have all the other elements is, is pretty incredible. Um, so on how many episodes of Wheats did you do? I did two. I did the pilot and the second one. Okay. Um, and going from, going from one show to the other, like how much time is there in between projects that you do? Well, it depends. Like there's a period where I did a show a year, which, um, I just said, I do, I went through a process where I said no a lot. Um, and it's probably been only the the past few years where I've just said yes. Where mm-hmm. I think um, everything was so precious, and there was so much pressure to do work uh, after Saved and Weeds. Like they had, they both had a um, a very specific tone and voice, and it's scary, you know, to to try to um, maintain that all the time um, and you you never really know what project is the next right one um, you you work on instinct you work on opportunity you work on all those things um, and then what I realized you know probably last year was that um, um, it's I love being on set you know I, I love being on set and I love telling stories and that's where I want to be and um, so I look for projects now that uh, say something that I believe in, like faking it deals with all kinds of issues, uh, being in high school, uh, which sort of follows the trajectory of my, my work. So it made sense to do that show, but you know, to deal with, um, intersex and, and, uh, you know, lesbianism and coming out in school and being an out, out person in school and, you know, it's like fascinating that, you know, at the time it made Save, there was nothing like that. You know, people didn't really make those films. And now you have like GBF and Faking It and Awkward and all these shows that are dealing, The Fosters, I think, has a storyline, um, a young, a young storyline. So it's interesting time. Yeah, that and, is. Yeah. That is. That's great. Um, or do you write anymore? I do. We just, like I said, we just finished a pilot that I'm really excited about. We uh, we write, I would say we write, we probably write a pilot every year and a half and mm-hmm. get close, various stages of development. Um, you know, it's a hard target to hit. Uh, my writing partner, Michael Urban, and I try to, to write, always write what we love and know um, and then trust that process because it's it's very difficult to to try to second guess what people are looking for. I, I, I think it's impossible, but I do think there are writers that are, do know that, you know, I've worked with, um, with some people that seem to have a sense of what the next thing is. Did you, are you meeting with people about that now or we just, uh, we just turned it into our agents. So okay. hopefully next, next week or the week after we start going out with it. Okay. What was the picture that I saw that you were at WB? Oh, I can't talk about that? No, no, no. It was uh, at the Weinstein Company. For, at the Weinstein. For a project that I can't okay. talk about, but it was awesome. Okay. Experience. Okay. I mean, I love, you know, Weinstein's, for what, say what you will, but that is, those, they, I think they care about film. Yeah. 
Yeah. They care about storytelling. They make good movies, you know? Amazing. Yeah. 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 They make, I think, all ends of the spectrum. I think they're just very prolific and they shoot the target all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you decide to write a pilot, do you just do that? Are you doing that in between shows or yeah. is it something that you say, okay, every year? No, it's, it's never, pilot? it's never thought out. I think when I first started writing, I thought that there was always a plan and there was a, I think for some people, again, there is, but for us, it's like, you know, we have this other new pilot that we're working on. Um, and it always starts with an image, you know, an image of, for this, for the new one, it starts with this girl who's trying to commit suicide, realizes that she has no reason to commit suicide, and takes a selfie, you know, and then it kind of oh, that's fascinating. Goes on this, um, it's just sort of a look at the the world we live in now. Yeah, um, but it started with that image of a girl on the on the top of a building, and then how just in a moment like, oh, I have no reason to do this, and then takes a selfie. That's a great you know. pitch. So I'm hooked. <laughs> I'll watch. Um, and then, um, yeah. So you're just always, you know, you're exploring what you know, your experiences in life, where you are at life, what, what things are important to you now that may not have been important to you, you know, early on, all of that stuff comes into play. I think when you're telling a story. Cool. What's uh, Mary Louise Parker like? I love her so much. Yeah. I, I, I have Mary a Louise. huge, huge crush. I was so, t- I worked with her on stage for the first one. I was really scared to work with her. And um, and I fell in love with her. I just fell in love with her. Like she's such a brilliant actress, and everything she's bringing to the table is good. You know, it's interesting, it's spontaneous. It comes from a place that that um, you know that only she knows. You know, I, my favorite moment with her was when I was doing weeds, and uh, we were doing a scene in the kitchen, and um, she did. A large chunk of the scene facing a refrigerator, so there was like no way to sort of film her. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, how am I going to capture this?" And then I realized like that was the most interesting place that she could have played it. You know, it's so powerful to have a scene with the with the characters back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, why they're sort of discovering who they are, and in this particular scene. And uh, then we did a music video together. Um, we actually, I think I can say this, but we wrote this next this next pilot um, for her specifically. Mm. You know, I I am fa- fascinated by her. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's really great. Um, I'm trying to think of like directing questions that I have. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about Zombie Basement at all? Uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, Zombie Basement was a, a fun project that I did with a bunch of friends last summer. Um, it, had, it was a, kind of the first opportunity I had to work with people I know and love, mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So you guys out there know, um, that's kind of where I met Brian as we did the Zombie Basement together. And um, it was some friends got together and somebody had written this. Uh, David Schneiderman. David yeah. Schneiderman had written this. um uh, like web series TV show and it's on YouTube now. You can check it out. But um gotta plug the zombie basement, dude. Right. Why not? <laughs> um yeah. That was a yeah, that was an interesting experience. I feel like I learned a lot as a director on that that particular show. Yeah. Good takeaways. Absolutely. Um so what is I want to know about an experience that you had on set where you thought to yourself, this is it. I'm done. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, no, but I will describe it like this. This okay. is my experience on set as far as I can tell. Um, you're on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. At any moment, things can fall apart. And at the end of the day... I'm, you know, I never take any moment for granted. You know, like, yes, this is going really well, but shit could hit this, you know, you could have an actor might totally hate something or the first AD might have a, uh, an, ex, an, um, an explosive event. You know, you just never know. You never, ever know. And so when I'm, when I'm working, I, <laughs> at the end of the day, you get off the roller coaster, you're like, okay. All right, that was a good ride, and then but I never take any second for granted. You know, yeah. it's always I always focus on the work, focus on the scene, focus on the performances, focus on my job, 
So, um, because I just don't take anything for granted. So when it comes down to it, you just kind of push through. It's not even pushing it's through. It's like uh, it's just constantly maintaining. I would say a positive attitude to to know why you're shooting a scene, why you're giving a certain piece of direction, why the camera is in a certain place, um, how this is going to edit together, uh, and having a hopefully generally good spirit on set where you you know you you. I love doing what I do. Most of the people on set love doing what they do and sort of honoring that part of the process too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, on Girlfriend's Guide, it was a great experience. The, the DP, Scott Williams, um, has this two things that made the set incredibly uh, joyous. One is he um, um, saying happy birthday to, if you were new on the show, they would sing happy birthday to you. And then when you left the show, they would sing happy birthday to you. Um, uh, and that includes actors, background players, you know, they were um, non-discriminative. And then also if, um, if someone, if, the, if the, the, the rehearsal was great, they would clap. But if someone broke a lamp, they would clap too. Like there was constantly this f- feeling of, yes, this is great. Maybe slightly ironic, but it's also great too. Like shit happens on set. You, you, you break things, things fall off, lights explode, um, actors mess up lines, laugh, dogs walk onto, into the frame, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, I, I just think that, that abil- that's what, I, when I was talking earlier about, like directing isn't always just your ability to work with actors and with, um, you know, your DP. It's, it's also that creating that spirit uh, where people can work um, and do their best work, honestly. What is your, what's the best experience that you've ever had? Is there a memory of being on set that stands out the most um, as your favorite? I don't know. There's a lot, I feel. Um, like, um, I think when I worked with uh, Chris Koffler on Struck by Lightning, I was always in awe of what a humble professional kid this was. I mean, the kid, he's not really a kid anymore, but he was so giving. And I, every time I worked with him, I just thought I could not do this at 20 years old. I couldn't do it. I would be an egomaniac, mm-hmm. right? And to, to watch someone who sort of, not only did he, did he write the screenplay when he was like 17, but he's in the movie, he's producing the movie, he's, he's open and generous, and uh, that was very, just a beautiful experience to, to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that not everybody ha- has to, you know, freak out. But then it was also moments like working with Rebel Wilson, who's so incredibly good at improv and funny. Um, you know, that's a great experience. And then I had a moment with Ted Danson on this pilot I did where, you know, when you're working with people like Ted Danson or Lisa Edelstein or Mary Louise Parker, uh, they don't need a lot of direction from you, right? (laughs) They've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I remember with with Ted in particular, there was just a scene where that he was having trouble and finding this moment and all the producers thought it was good enough, good enough. And then I had like this one little idea and I, and I ran it to him and he's like, that's it. <laughs> you know, like that was like a great moment as a director. Like, I don't know if you get a lot of those, but it's so, I think as a director, it's really exciting when you can pull something out of your hat that you know will help that actor, um, tap into something they need in that moment. You know, like Lisa Edelstein was the same way. Like, you know, just a little, it's very exciting as a director because I don't know that you get to do that so much, you know. I, I, I guess on um, Awkward, I was working with um, this, uh, this actress named Jillian who usually is, plays this funny character in the show, but she had this really emotional arc in this episode. And to um, to work with her on just how she was going to achieve that moment. And she had already processed a lot of this on her own anyway, but to bring just little elements to the table that, you know, you're working in collaboration with that actor to get that moment. And it was, it's really rewarding, you know, like most of the time, you know, everyone is, they know their characters, they have brought great 
ideas to the table, um, and they are fine. You know, you just make little adjustments. You, you change the intensity or the intention, or you make a suggestion that just gives you some variety in the editing room. So those are exciting. Is every day different when you're doing it, or is it uh, every ever, second is different? Every second, di- you think. never go through like a period of a couple of days where it's almost rote. Never, never. I've, never. I've never had that experience. I think, I hope that I I love directing so much. I don't take anything. Um, I don't want to say it's not for granted. I don't. You're, you 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 always have an opportunity and obligation to tell the best story that you can using everything you know as a director. And every show that you work on, I think, deserves that. Every actor deserves that respect. Every crew member deserves to be treated, you know, as they've been there for a while, you know? So, yeah. yeah. yeah and everybody's no, had to nothing's go up the, ever been wrote. push that rock up the hill to get where they're going. Yeah, and you know, people, when you come on to, to a show, like when I do Episodic, you know, those guys are working really hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've been working hard for a long time. Yeah. And so when you get there, you want to, you know, I, I hope, you know, convey that you appreciate it, that you're you're there to to do the best show that you can do and to not um, to maybe give them a good week. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's true, but I love, you know, it's funny, as much as I love actors and my DP, it's like I love crew. I love crew. I love my first ADs. I love I, I love the people that work in film. I love it. I have such an enormous respect for for the crew on a show. Yeah. For the crew on like anything. Anything. I mean, you just see there's uh there might be a guy dedicated to putting sandbags on lights. Yeah. You know, and like that dude like I've never seen when we were doing that music video for Nicki Minaj, we I've never seen people move so fast yeah. and and change things. Yeah. In such a, such a short amount of time and it's just it's incredible. It's, it's incredible an incredible world. Yeah. It's an incredible world. What advice do you have for somebody that wants to be a director but is I mean how how do you suggest break into it? Um I don't know. I've heard people, know. you know, I've heard like Steven Spielberg get on stage and tell people like you've got no excuses if you want to make a movie, go out there with your phone and make a movie. And I think that's kind of yeah. It's kind of not helpful. You know? I think it's well, I think the first thing you, it's probably a, a probably, I was going to say two part process, but it's probably many more parts. There is the, everyone, my impression when I'm, when I meet people, lots of people want to be directors, but there's a whole lot of stuff that you have to deal with that if you really don't love directing, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm. So I think the first part maybe is, is just discovering, do you can you do all the other stuff that directing entails? Can you do those pitch meetings? Can you get rejected a million times a year? Can you deal with personalities that are big, you know, that can you, can you, can you collaborate? Can you, you know, are you, are you so talented that you don't have to collaborate? You know, can you, you know, do you have stories that need to be told? You know, do you have stories that, you know, need to be told because just because they will entertain people and make them feel good for a couple hours or half hour or whatever you're doing. Um, but, you know, just, you know, for the past three or four years, I've taught directing at AFI. And, um, you know, I see a lot of really, really talented directors come through the program and, um, and very few of them will go on to be directors. Um, and I think it's because it's really hard. I mean, you have to be willing to, well, at least my experience is you have to be willing to um, be poor. You have to be willing to to be scared. You have to be willing to deal with all your demons of are you talented enough? Do you have anything to say? Can you, are you, can you write? Have you forgotten how to write? Can you still do all those things? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also I think having a unique or a unique lens to look at the world through. I think that's also really important too. To have your own vision? Your own lens. Your, you know, your own experiences, good or bad or weird or special, or that g- lets you tell the same story someone else might tell, 
but you are bringing something that only you can bring to it based on how you perceive the world. And I think that is really valuable. Yeah, that is really valuable. What lens do you bring to it? Um, well, you know, I think, I think being a gay kid at a, a Baptist high school was a huge lens <laughs> that, you know, that I carried yeah. around because I was always, you know, you, you fell in love with your classmates, but they were, they had very different views of, of the world and, and how you fit in it. So you have maybe a different understanding of compassion. Right. So you're friends with someone in who also doesn't agree with anything you're doing in your life. Mm -hmm. Like that's a weird place to be as a kid. I think Um, I grew up. I I was adopted. I I I lived in Germany until I was 11. So I had. I think when I came back, I was like I think I was 11 years old when I came back to Maryland, and uh, you know. So I'm looking at uh, suburban Maryland through a. A lens that a very um, different lens. Yeah, yeah, you know? very different. So, um, yeah, I think those things contribute to how you tell a story, and also always. And I try to bring this to everything I do. I hope I, I just had this conversation at the Weinstein Company, but the idea that um, to really understand and. What what that what that character is going through in the moment? Like, don't brush past it. You know, like this person, mm-hmm. your best friend has just been killed. Yeah. You know, there's the movie version of it. There's the TV version of it, and then there's just a moment to like consider, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. what does it mean when you are losing the love of your life in this moment and you can't get them? Like trying to bring back, trying to bring the character or the actor to remember that moment too because I think it's easy to forget you know there's you can play it but then to take a moment to understand what that is and even if you play it the same way you're going to bring something to the screen that I think registers even just under the surface like there's just a little different understanding of that moment like I, I think that it's probably something that I'm most passionate about is like the authenticity of the moment whether it's comedy horror drama you know, like what is, what's at stake here? Yeah. That's why I think you're, uh, you're successful and will continue to be because that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, that's what makes a movie that I remember, you know, that's what makes a TV show or an episode that I remember is, um, and it's rare, you know, where something will happen that puts you in the place of the character and you take pause I know exactly the moment where I realized it. I never will forget it. I was watching Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. It was when the mother found out that Laura Palmer was dead. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I remember this differently. I've seen that scene since, Mm -hmm. and it's not quite as dramatic as my memory. But Mm -hmm. my memory was that she gets the phone call, and the camera, you you cut to her to, um, um, you you cut to the mom on the phone, um, and then he doesn't cut away. And so all of a sudden, you're not just getting the information that her daughter's dead. You're, you're, you're the mother, and you're hearing that someone you love is gone. And he doesn't cut away. Now, when I've seen it since, it's like much more truncated than that, but that was the effect it had. I, I think possibly because in TV, you know, you get the phone call, your daughter's dead, ah, cut, commercial. And here, even if it was a sp- two seconds longer than that, it mm. felt so powerful. And I thought, oh, my God, like what that, that, is the first time I ever was into a scene in a way that I was une- it was unexpected. Because he expressed that time dilation that you yeah. feel when something impacts you on that level of emotionality. That he you... didn't look away. Yeah. He didn't look, he stayed there just for a little longer. So now you weren't just watching this character. You were like, oh my God, what if I got that call? Right, right. So it was just a really big moment for me. Yeah, it's one of those things that makes you pick up the phone and yeah, <laughs> right. like call right. your parents and say... Hey, I love you guys. Um, what is, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite bad movie? What's oh, your favorite I bad love movie? movies. It's an impossible question to ask. And we're going to go see Magnolia on Sunday. Are you guys going to go? You and Jordan? Sunday, 6. I did it. 7 p.m. at New Beverly. 
I just uh, this is the first time hearing of it. Well, you should go. Yeah. You Absolutely. And Jordan. I haven't actually. I, I did. Haven't you, we should tell people that you and Jordan are literally like two of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> thanks, thanks, man. <laughs> um, um, I've but, never seen Magnolia, oh my God, so I'd love I to love see Magnolia, Magnolia because I love uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh God, I don't know why I love that movie. It's just spectacular. Yeah, it's spectacular to me in every way. Yeah, um, I, I love Magnolia. Um, bad movies. Oh God, I don't. Um, I don't know if this qualifies as a bad movie, but I'll tell you why I love it. There's this movie, uh, Wes Craven's first film was called Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly graphic. Like it, ha- it has scenes that I think even are disturbing by today's standards. But it also had these bizarre comedic moments of like a chicken truck and these two bumbling cops. Mm-hmm. And... What I love about that film is because he's a new director or a new director at the time, it was dangerous. Like he didn't know, I'm totally presuming, mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm imagining if I were in that position, like he didn't know quite how to marry these elements. So you, you were, I felt on edge as an audience member, you know, like this guy can do anything. Right, he can pull anything here. Oh, it's not interesting. Safe because interesting. I don't know if they know exactly. Like the very, te- very technical, specific moment is they did a scene with the father has a chainsaw on this against this guy who was a rapist in the house, and they actually had the chain on the chainsaw running. You know, like they didn't take, they didn't go that next level of taking the chain off. So it was literally dangerous in the moment Whoa. that they were filming it. Um, you know, so there was like. A, there's a tension of not just the the material, but the the um, the, uh, the the new experience that that film that Wes Craven was having telling that story. So it's always, you know, because it's not fitting the formula. You know, it's, it's not like we're not like comfortable with. Oh, you're giving me you're giving me a laugh right now to release the yes, pressure so like that you can spring something on me. Totally yeah. inappropriate. Yeah. The violence and is really intense, and I just. I mean, I was obsessed with that film probably for a good year where I'd have to watch it like every month Yeah. because I couldn't figure out why I was so fascinated by it. You know, there's like the element of horror. I love horror movies, which is one level of it, but there was something else, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that's a film that sticks out. I'll um, have to go back and watch that one. Yeah, it's da- it's, it feels dangerous to me. So I guess that's, uh, is that your favorite movie? No, my favorite. I don't know if I have favorite. It's really hard to say. I mean, like Magnolia is really up there. Yeah. Um, Crying Game was a big moment for me because I love. I love when a when a filmmaker or a storyteller. Have you seen Crying Game? No, I haven't. Seen a, it. it starts off as one story, and then that who you assume is to be the protagonist is killed, right? And then it becomes this other story. And first of all, I think it's incredibly hard to do in a film. Um, and then it had all these other elements of surprise in it. But that was a big experience to me, I think, as a, as a director. Um, and then another film I think is, I think this film is pretty perfect. I'm always, it took me a long time to say this because I went to film school and you talk a lot about a lot of cool films, mm-hmm. which are interesting. you know. But um, in terms of endearment, is this film that always gets me because it's funny, it's human, it's tragic, mm-hmm. it's it, and it combines all of those elements seamlessly. Um, I don't think that there's been a film like it since. There's been for me, there's been films that have tried that have tried to do it, mm-hmm. but I also think too as a as a storyteller. And I know I'm sure you have this experience. There's those movies that come along that are just perfect for you at that moment in your development as a human being like yeah meatballs yeah. friday the 13th were sort oh, of yeah. those kind of moments for me um um so you know you just there's so many different experiences you can have as a, a view as an audience um that uh like whiplash was another one it just it I, it was close to being my favorite one because it tapped into the sort of operatic um, notion of being an artist and what you're willing to put yourself through. 
Um, and it, whether that voice is a teacher or the voice inside your head, like that is, it sort of transcended just that story between a, a, a drummer and his teacher. It was mm-hmm. that struggle that I could relate to. I think a lot of people could relate to on a lot of different levels. Well, that goes back to what you were talking about before, how it's, you know, you really have to love being a, if you want to be a director, you really have to love it past the point where yeah, you're going to get taken out. Sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's come up on the podcast before uh, because there are situations where, um, like I've told people in my field that you have to, you know, like if this is something that you want to do, like you have to get to, like you have to love it because it, you'll get to the point where it, it's gonna kill you. Maybe not like literally, but you know, if you're like we were talking about before the podcast, if you're on your like third week of working 15 hours a day, you know, like the system will get you to a place where if you don't love it, you'll quit. You'll quit. You'll you have quit. to. You, you have, have, you to, have to love it. You have to, you have have to love it. Yeah. If you don't love it, um, I just, you're crazy. Yeah. Like you can't, I don't know how anyone yeah. does it. Yeah. Anyone, actors, you know, all, all of it. Everyone works really, really hard. Um, and there's not a lot of payoff. There's not a lot of, and I don't mean payoff in terms of like payoff when you maybe think of what f- directing is or or being an actor. It's like uh, it's like five minutes of a glamorous moment, and yeah. really it's work. <laughs> it's yeah. work, 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 hard work, hard emotional work, work, work with understanding who you are in the world. <laughs> you I know. think that's what you know. A lot, I think a lot of people out there see, you know, like see the glamour of Hollywood, and they don't understand like the amount of work that goes into everything, you know, like soul crushing, like, you know, you see like an actor walk the red carpet, but you don't see like, even that process, not talking to your, not talking to your spouse for three months or like, yeah. I mean, the sacrifices are, look, I mean, we choose to do it. No one puts a gun to our head. I I think that's true. I don't know if we choose to do it. I think it chooses us probably is truer, but we still, you know, are active participant in deciding that we're going to, continue doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. um, um, and, you know, I think that it's also good to realize that bakers work just as hard as actors and directors and people who work for the government. Like everyone works pretty hard. There's Absolutely. all, there's, yeah. there's always yeah. a trade off. There's yeah. no, it's not like we have a special kind of a hard job, but you know, in the context of things, it's hard just like everyone else's job. That's what I tell, that's what I tell people too. I have so many, I have a lot of family members that like work for the government, you know, because I'm from, from Washington DC. And, um, that's one of the things I always say when things get uh, polarized or when people, you know, go down that, that rabbit hole of, you know, why is the government doing this? Why is the government doing, and it's like, you know, the, at the highest level might be political, and it might be something you disagree with, you know, as a citizen, but like you can't like the, the scientist that's working at, at National Institute of Health, for example, is like they've just always wanted to be a scientist. Right. So like if you're a statistics geek for like 30 years, like that's the person. Nobody's trying to screw you. Right. You know, right. there's just somebody out there that like really wants to find out whether or not tomatoes are going to help cure cancer or something, you know? I'm trying to figure out where we're going to go with that. Just working their ass off, working their asses off, you know? Yeah, people work hard. And I think people work really hard in America. Like, that's, like, when you look at other countries and all the time they have off and all Mm -hmm. those sort of rules about, you know, what it is to be an employer. Yeah. Like, we're nuts. Yeah. Like, we, people work really, really hard. (laughs) Um, And I don't think there's always a lot of payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. I was just watching, have you ever seen Morgan Spurlock's show? It's on Netflix now. Um, I think the I've seen Inside most Man. of them. Inside yeah. Man? They, he, I just saw the one where he went to uh, like a Scandinavian country. To, for, right. It's the education episode. Right. And um, that just blew my mind. I know. You know, because they are just, there are these Scandinavian countries that are just like running almost perfect systems. Yeah. For everybody. Theoretically. And it theoretically. It can't be. It can't be well, perfect, it can't, I mean, right? NPR has, uh, NPR had this thing where, I don't know if it's like... Uh, like Denmark or Finland, either Denmark or Finland has this situation where they offshore drill for oil. So they like sell all the oil to the rest of the rest of the world 
and they don't use right. any oil themselves, you know? So, like, if you buy, you can buy a Tesla over there for, like, $30,000 because the government subsidizes it. Right. So, like, one out of every three people in this country drives a Tesla, which is, like, a $100,000 car because they want to get off the grid. It's, They've got, like, a trust fund of a trillion dollars set up in the government. It's so funny because I was just talking to my writing partner, Michael Urban, about this probably two days ago, just how it's actually not a good thing to have everything run well. Yeah. If you get everything you want, everything you need, like, don't they have the, also have the highest suicide rate? <laughs> like oh, those, do, yeah. You know, there's something, <laughs> there's something, I don't think there's, you just don't achieve any sort of utopia. I mean, I, I love the idea of this, the utopia, but it comes with a price too. You know, right, right. it's like if everything's perfect, then what's perfect? So you know? do you think that, uh, you think the struggle is part of the system? I think there is no perfect system and there's benefits to both. But do you think, I mean, okay, so as we progress as human beings, you know, like into the future, um, do you think, so like, do you think things like war, like we'll never eliminate war because war is part of the equation? I would be surprised if we eliminated war. Right, right, right. So you think we need war? Like, you think poverty is always going to be there? I don't think we need it in a spiritual sense, mm-hmm. but I think that there, the likelihood of ending war, just attract, looking just at our track record, seems yeah. implausible. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay. I mean... I go back and forth. I go back and forth on that. Um, I'd like to think that we can eliminate some of those things, but, you know, it's... You, uh, what was I watching? The, I was watching something the other day that was talking about, uh, you know, when we have, like, a Great Depression or we just had this, like, recession thing that happened and um, what it... It's a really bad time for everybody, but a lot of really cool, innovative things right. come out of those times. So it's kind of like you can't. I think it's the pres- positive presumptive and the negative to or, think that if you get rid of everything that's bad, then the world's going to be a better place. I don't know, right. but I also think you have an obligation as a as a human being on this planet to to make that your intent and to strive for that always. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of duplicitous, yeah. like. You have to, or at least I, th- my my perception of the world is you have to strive for those ideals, um, regardless of whether you think they will end or not. And probably if you achieve a certain level of spirituality, you do believe that they those things can end. Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's enough people that believe that, that's possible or that's ideal. I mean, I that's the best you know take on that yeah that scenario. Uh, what do you do when you're not working? You know, it's funny. It sounds I, like um, you work pretty well, pretty hard, and that's a large part of your life. So I watch you... a shit ton of movies, yeah, and documentaries. I I love I love I love watching films and and television shows. I love what you know. I think all of these things help us understand what it means to have this human experience. And I think really that's what the search is. Like every documentary I see, every show I see, you're tapping into some person's idea of what it means to be a human. Um, And sometimes it's from their point of view, sometimes it's your point of view, how you see it. Um, And then, you know, and separate from that, it's, you know, spending time with friends like you and, Mm. you know, having dinners and... um, just enjoying the basics. Yeah, and, and really the basics are things that maybe I took for granted at one time, but those things are really important too. It's not all about your career and what you can win and what you can oh, do. Right. It's about like really being happy sitting on the porch sometimes. Absolutely. I think that uh, one of the things that I've discovered in the last couple of years is I've been really trying to go out of my way to like correspond with people that I haven't been corresponding with. And so that means, you know, like going out to lunch with people that I haven't seen in a while or having dinners with people that I haven't seen in a while and uh, just kind of communing with people. It's kind of my favorite thing now. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's something, it's so weird being a human being because you, well, my me, I love the idea of being self-contained and um, 
never having to really interact with the world, but then I also crave it and must do it. Right, know? right, right, right. Uh, it never works. It never fully works either way. You oh, know? Don't, don't get me wrong. I love, like, after I come home from a hard day, like, not wanting to see anybody <laughs> and to, like, you know, like, yeah. sit in my room by myself and isolate. Um, I love that, too. Yeah. I love that, too. But you need both. You, you need know? both. It's you just, like, why you times. can't have a totally perfect society because if you don't have... Because time changes. Right. <laughs> right. And everything changes. Well, that's great. Um, well, thanks for coming by, man. I really appreciate it. That was, that was basically an hour. Oh, good. I apologize for the dog barking. No, I think it adds texture. It's texture, yeah. It's, part of, it's the real-life grittiness real of life. the podcast. Yeah. Um, I love that you're doing this. I can't wait um, for you to do more. Yeah, I, I love doing this, too. It, you know, it gives me an opportunity to, like, just sit down with, with somebody like you and just, you know, just talk about some random, random stuff, you know? And I don't think we get... Even if you go out to dinner with a bunch of your friends, you know, you've, you've got five people sitting there and you're focusing on this conversation or focusing on that conversation. And it's just to sit down with somebody one-on-one and just talk for an hour, I think is like really important. Awesome. One of the things I like. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming, thanks Brian. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks Patrick.